Well, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're continuing our study of the book of Ephesians, a book that really is in, uh, or I should say a letter that is in two parts. Like all of Paul's letters, the first part of his letter shares what Christ has done. And then in light of what Christ has done, he then shares how we ought to live in light of that. And we're in that section in chapter 4. So look at verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds, They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming you have heard Him, And we're taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Now this morning... We're going to just begin to unpack this text. This will be part one of of this text. And we're going to spend really the majority of our time together uh, as an introduction to this text. And I want to show you why. Uh, All the rest of this letter is built on walking in the newness of life, walking in the new life that we have in Christ. And I think it's very important, and I needed to be sharpened this week as I'm looking at this, even how I think about the Christian life. The fact that I'm new in Christ, yet I struggle with sin. So I want to get that clear in our minds so that we rightly understand Paul, because he speaks of these things in Romans and in Colossians, and so we're going to spend some of our time this this morning in those places. I want you to look at the text, and really, you can see the text in this way. He really lays out how we used to live in the old man, and how we used to think. Our thinking used to be futile. Our thinking used to be ignorant because we had hard hearts. That was the mindset of the old life. And then he says in this text uh, that the new man, the one who has the new birth, has learned, has been taught... And is 
to be continually renewed in our thinking. And so one of the things we're going to see as we look at this text is that our life, our Christian life, starts in our thinking. That's how our old life was lived. It starts with our thinking. Our thinking leads to our desires, and then our desires determine our actions. That's clear in this text. But we might be tempted, for example, to read verse 22. It says, to put off your old self as though part of our old self is still alive and part of our new self is alive and we're just kind of in this limbo. And I don't think that is the right way to think of it. In fact, he says, uh, you have learned Christ in the past. You have been taught Christ in the, in the past. And now in light of that, you're to live like who you really are. Why would you live now like you used to be? You can't become more a new person in Christ. That came to us in the new birth. So we're going to spend most of our time proving that point so that we can read this text uh, rightly. I think it's very encouraging. It'll be encouraging to us. One of the the unique aspects of Christianity, I got a chance to share uh, Christ with our Muslim uh, Uber driver last week in Minneapolis. And the unique thing of Christianity is, is most every other faith has a set of morals to it. And what determines whether or not you will be okay in the end is whether or not you live up to the morals of that faith. That you're good enough. But what determines for a Christian whether or not they'll enter heaven is not determined by whether or not a Christian is good enough, but rather whether or not they've been born again. So if you have your Bibles with you, I want you to turn to John chapter 3, and we're going to look at a text that maybe you've heard before. I want to look at it anew. And as you turn here, I just uh, am reminded of the great evangelist, George Whitfield. And I had to read a book on his life and read some of his sermons. And in the main takeaway I got from Whitfield's preaching, uh, a man who God used to spread Christ uh, both uh, in New England and in the are in the United States and in England, both places. Uh, what was unique about his teaching? What was unique to me is that every sermon ended with this. Are you born again? Essentially he's saying, I know you might be moral. 
I know you might be just in your dealings. I know you maybe line up with some of the best class of people in society, but are you born again? Has a supernatural miracle been done? And there was a man in Jesus' day who was described by Jesus as the teacher in Israel. This man would have been looked up to as one of, if not the most, godly man in Israel, and it's Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was intrigued, I think you could say bothered, but maybe bothered in a good way. He was intrigued about Jesus. He was scared to come to him. He knew Jesus was not popular amongst those in uh, religious leaders in Israel. Most of them were jealous of Christ, so he comes to Jesus at night and speaks to him as a good teacher from heaven. No one could be doing what you're doing unless God was with him. Jesus says to him in verse 3 of John 3, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. The question Nicodemus would surely ask is, am I born again? <laughs> what would that look like? Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus had lived his whole life based on what he could do to get to a certain status. In fact, he had gotten to where he was by his own actions. So now as Jesus speaks of the new birth, Nicodemus pictures climbing into his mother's womb. What, what would this look like? How would I do that? See, he has the mind like the mind of every other religious person. But here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we're going to consider what that means in a moment. And then he says, that which is born of flesh is flesh. What can you do, Nicodemus? Well, Lord willing, with your wife, you could produce a baby. That which is born of flesh is flesh. But that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. Now, what did he mean when he said, unless one is born of water and the spirit? Now, Jesus, he's not speaking of baptism here. What he's doing is he's referring us to Ezekiel chapter 36. One of the main ways you would 
reference an Old Testament passage, since there wasn't chapter and verse back then, we've added those, is you would say a phrase that would have been common to the everyday hearers. So he directs us to Ezekiel 36, which is speaking about the new covenant promise to God's people. God's people who've been rebellious of heart, who are supposed to represent God and have profaned his name. So if you want to turn with me to Ezekiel 36, let's see what we see. In Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 22, here's what God says. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God, it is not for your sake, O house of Israel, I'm about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations which you came. That's what you did, Israel. You profaned my name among the nations. But he says, I'm about to act for my namesake. And here's what he says. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. He says, I'm about to do something amazing that when the nations see it, they will say, whoa, you are holy. Though my people have profaned my name, I'm about to do something through you that is going to remind the world about who I truly am and what I'm really like. So what is he going to do? Look at verse 24. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you in to your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. All right, we have the water that Jesus referred to in John 3. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness, and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. Who's going to do that? God's going to do that. How do you become a Christian? It's not by getting rid of all of your idols and cleaning yourself up and, be, and, and becoming a better person. That's not how. It's something God will do. And then he says, I will give you a new heart. He doesn't say you have a sick heart and uh, I'm going to come and give medicine to it and make it better. But he says, I'm going to give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. Jesus was talking about being born by water and spirit, and he's referring to the act where God comes in to a spiritually dead 
person and there's a stone cold hard heart that doesn't respond to him, doesn't respond to his word, and he takes out the heart of stone and he puts in a heart of flesh. And he puts his spirit within that person. And then he says, I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So when the world sees a Christian, what they ought not do is say, boy, it's a good person compared to the rest of the bad people. But what they ought to say is God is powerful. God is powerful to take a wretch, to take a fallen, sinful rebel and change their heart, change the taste buds of their heart, give them new desires. So that when Paul talks about, speaks to Christians, and he's going to speak to them about how they ought to live, he says things like this, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, the old has passed away, behold, the new has come. The old is gone, and the new has come. And I know what you're thinking. Really? The old's gone? Because it seems like the old is still there. See, this is what we're trying to work through today. How do we parse through this idea that it's a fully new heart? The heart of stone is gone. It's a fully new creation. Yet I know you still struggle with sin like I struggle with sin. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. He doesn't say, I partially live. He says, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ in me now. It's the new man. In fact, John MacArthur gives a list of all the things that are true for believers. They have a new mind, a new will, a new heart, a new inheritance, a new relationship, new power, new knowledge, new wisdom, new perception, new understanding, new righteousness, new love, new desire, new citizenship, and many other new things, all of which are summed up. He, he points to Romans 6, 4, walking in newness of life. Because what were we like in our old life, in the old man? John 3.19, if you're, I don't know if you're still in John 3, here's God's judgment. When, when Christ came into the world, here's, here's, what, here's the judgment of God. This is, this is the judgment. Light has come to, into the world, but the people 
love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. That's God's judgment. So anyone have evil works? Well, then you loved darkness. Why, why would you love darkness if you had evil works? Who wants to be exposed by the light? Who wants to be exposed by the light if there's sin in your life? So that's what we were. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Here's how Paul says it in Colossians 3. If you, if you do have your Bibles with you, turn with me here. I think it's important to see it. In Colossians 3, 1, he says this, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. So if you've been raised with Christ, then seek the things that are above. Set your, set your minds on things that are above and not on things on earth, for you have died. He doesn't say you, you're sick and you're getting better, but he's speaking to believers and he says, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So the believer is fully alive. Their life is hidden with Christ in God. They have died. So if you say, who am I? You are in Christ, Christian. You are alive if indeed you've been born again. And then he says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So how ought you live? He's saying, live like who you truly are. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry, on account of these the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. You once walked when you were living in them. The believer is no longer living in them. You say, yeah, but I might struggle with some of these things. So how do we... How, how, how do we understand such black and white language? You've died to this life and you're alive to this life, so don't live like this. And then in verse 7, look at what he says. In these things you too once walked, past tense, when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. 
Do not lie to one another. Why not? Seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Don't live that way because the new man has arrived. That's what he's saying. Already. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. All right. So you can see distinction between the new man being fully new, the old man being fully dead. Well, then why does he need to encourage them to live a certain way? How are we to think about these things? Turn to Romans 6. Paul says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? So he's speaking to the Christian that has been given eternal life. Grace goes higher than all sin. Should we just sin? By no means. How can we who have, what does it say? Died. That's decisive to sin. Still live in it. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore. Someone might say, well, are you sure I'm not just sick? Maybe dead means sick. Well, he, he uses the word dead, and then he uses the word buried. Being buried, therefore, with him in into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So if you're in Christ, you have died, and now you're alive, and now you're walking in newness of life. Verse 5. For we, if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall surely be united, or we, or we, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him. Our old self was crucified with him. Was crucified. You see that? in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died to sin once for all, for the death he died... He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You must consider yourself dead. Who are you? Are you an alcoholic? Christian? Are you a recovered alcoholic? Christian? Are you a recovered sex addict, Christian, 
Are you a recovered anger? Yeller? <laughs> what are you? What's your identity according to the Scripture? Are you identified by remaining sin, or are you identified by your new life in Christ? He says you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your new nature? Is that what it says? That's not what it says. He says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. Aha, there's the key. Where is our remaining sin located? Not one ounce of it is located in the new man in Christ. Here's what you need to realize. When you die and as a believer and face and see God in our given your glorified body, nothing is being added to you as a person. Nothing. The mortal flesh has been removed from you. So it's fair to say that when you've been converted as a Christian, when you've been converted as a Christian, a much bigger change takes place than when you become perfectly sinless and glorified in heaven. Flesh and blood cannot enter the kingdom of God. So we're told not to, verse 13, or in verse 12, not to let sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. The reason why you and I still sin is because our new man is attached to a dead, rotting corpse that still has images of Adam, but it's not us. It's not us. That's why Romans 7 comes next, right? Here's what Paul says in Romans 7, verse 14. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. He's talking about the remaining flesh he has. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Can you relate to that, Christian? You do not do what you want, but you do the very thing you hate? Now, if I do not do what I want, I agree that the law is good. 
So now it is no longer, look at verse 17, it is no longer I who do it. Paul says, it's no longer I who do the sin. He's new in Christ. His true nature, his true identity. He says, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do want, I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You see how careful he protects the new man? You're not partially made alive. You're fully made alive. That's fully who you are. The reason why you still struggle with sin is because this flesh is still asking for the things that used to get. It's still begging for it. Paul says, at this point, he hasn't been able to get rid of this body of death. It still wants what it wants. In verse 21 of Romans 7, he says this. He says, for I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Where at? In the flesh. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. That's been changed. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. And then he says, wretched man am I. So as I'm struggling through this, I'm like, wait a minute. He can't say that. He can't say wretched man am I. He's, he's, he's made such careful use of words to say that he's new in Christ. Well, look at what he goes on to say. He says, what wretched man am I? Who will deliver me from this body of death? See, that's what he's referring to. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Now, we're not left as victims. We have new life. We have the Holy Spirit, and we're given weapons where we're told to put to death the deeds of the flesh that used to enslave you, but now no longer enslave you. That's what Romans 8 goes on to say. I'll read you three verses. B verse 11. Well, I want to tell you verse 1 because it's such good news. You can't pass over it. He says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you are in Christ Jesus, there's no condemnation. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 11, he says, 
If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from or he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also do what? Give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. See, there's hope. You're not just a victim sitting here. Wretched man am I, or I mean, uh, verse 12. So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Why? Because we're dead to that. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. See, that's what the Christian does. I hate what I find myself continually doing. Father, give me the strength. Give me the wisdom to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Because that's not me. See what I'm saying? If we go to Ephesians and we just say, oh, put on and put off, we can be deceived into thinking that we have to put on the new birth. Well, we actually can't do that. Ezekiel 36 was all about what God does. Right? Two things are happening at the same time when a person is converted. From a human perspective, we call it conversion. A person recognizes their sin, realizes the punishment for sin is death, ultimately spiritual death, which is separation from God for all eternity. They realize they're supposed to live to glorify God, and yet they've sinned, and death is coming. And then they see Christ, the one who came to take the place of sinners, to bear the punishment for their sin. And they hear that righteousness doesn't come from being good enough, but it comes as a gift given in Christ. So it's not the good people that get into heaven. It's those who recognize they're not good and they need grace. And then when they're given grace, they become more like Christ. Why? Because they've been given a new birth. They're, not, they're no longer earning their salvation, but rather they're living out of the new life they've been given. So rather than read the rest of Ephesians as though, all right, I'm part alive and I'm part dead and I gotta, I gotta give more power to the living part. No, Paul's main message to us in this text and in all of his letters is this, live like who you really are. And the illustration he gives us in this text is two. He says, walk according to who you really are. And then he says, essentially, dress like who you really are. If you're new, why would you put on an old stinking garment? Put that off. Dress like who you really are in Christ. All right? So the reason why we took the time to do all that is because I struggled through that all week. Trying to get in my mind, what do we do with remaining sin? 
Where, where is that coming from? Am I only partially new? No, I'm fully new. Am I a victim? No, I've been given the Spirit of God. I've been given the church. I've been given understanding of the Word of God. All that is resources in order to put to death and live like the new man that the Scripture says, I am. So let's come full circle to Whitfield's question. Have you been born again? Because Jesus says in Matthew 7, that many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord. Meaning, in the Greek, when you repeat it like that, I mean, these aren't people just saying, oh, yeah, I'm kind of a Christian. No, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, I was a passionate Christian. Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, and I'll say to them, I never knew you. In fact, out of the group that says they know the Lord in Matthew 7, out of that group, it says the majority of them are going down the wide road headed for destruction and very few find eternal life. See, Christianity isn't one other religion in the midst of a whole bunch of others that says, you know, be a pretty good person. You know, that's what the Muslim gen gentleman I was talking to, he says, you believe in God, I believe in God. You a good man, I'm a good man. No, I'm not a good man. And then as we shared the gospel with him, he says, you mean to tell me? He goes, let's say you have a brother and your brother does something really bad and your dad punishes you that wrong. I said, yeah, but what if your brother said, dad, don't punish him, punish me. I said, that's love. That's the gospel that Christ willingly, the God-man, took on human flesh, lived the perfect life we could never live so that he could die for who? Good people? No, for sinners. Some of the greatest moral people on the face of the earth will face Christ 100% sure they're getting into heaven. If you asked them why, they would say, I went to church, I did good things, I, I was upright, I was kind. But Jesus will say, I never knew you. And so just like Jesus said to Nicodemus, you must be born again to see the kingdom of God. If you're sitting here today and you're saying, you know what, I've tried to live the morals, but my desire really hasn't been the, the things of this world captivate my heart more than the things of God does. Well, then what you need to do is cry out to God that he give you the new birth, that he takes out the heart of stone. Because it's one thing to be a pretty good person and not really like it. I mean, it's hard. You would rather, I mean, you're really passionate about the things of the world but it's another thing 
to have the taste buds of your heart changed? And that's the question. Has God done that for you? Are you broken over your sin? Are you saying with the Apostle Paul, what a wretched man am I? Because if you feel like you're pretty good about yourself, the Apostle Paul, in one sense, can't relate. Paul's saying, oh, look at this remaining sin. He's given a heart that wants to follow God. 